This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. We're in Acts chapter 8 tonight. And I'm thankful for the timing of this passage. And I think you'll be able to see the timeliness as we consider where we're at as a church, uh, our specific needs, and a great caution that is in this text. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, would you enable your servant now? I am weak, but you are strong. Thank you that your strength is made perfect in my weakness. And Lord, this is perhaps one of the most difficult texts in the book of Acts. And so would you help me to be clear as I declare your truth, help me to be accurate with the text. Holy Spirit, please lead so that the application is what comes from the text. Uh, Lord, we need to be guarded. And thank you for leading us here this night. Please work in our hearts. Cause your word to run. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a special time for our church. It's also a unique time. It's a vulnerable time. Anytime God is working, and the book of Acts shows us this, when God is working, Satan is going to show up. There are different things that Satan will use to disrupt the work of God. One of his primary tools is he uses a carnal Christian to cause disruption. It should not escape us that in the book of Acts, whenever something great was happening that God was doing, there was an Ananias and Sapphira. When God begins to work or continues the work in Samaria, there's a sorcerer named Simon. Our church is at a unique spot, 50 years. God has grown us. God has blessed us. I'm so thankful for the spirit in this church. People who hunger for the word of God and people who I believe are walking with God. But it's right during that time that Satan is going to rear his ugly head and folks can become vulnerable because someone or somebody's may not be walking with the Lord. And so I would just caution each of us and admonish you to be faithful. Be full of faith. But know that Satan is going to look for weak spots and he's going to capitalize on those weak spots and try to cause division. If you are around someone who wants to talk about somebody else, stop them. Okay? Whisperers separate chief friends. 
If they have something negative to say about somebody else, teens, stop them. Walk away. Adults, take the person, if it's an adult who wants to be negative, and go to the person they want to talk about. I guarantee that'll stop them. But don't tolerate that carnality. Let me also share our need during this time to be faithful in spite of all that. This church in the past has been through some deep water. The fact that we are here tonight enjoying the blessing of tonight is because when there were problems, people didn't walk away. Well, I'll just go someplace else where there aren't any problems. Good luck with that. And I don't even believe in luck, all right? No, stay put, stay where you're planted. See the thing through. But that's not the only thing that Satan will use. God hates discord among the brethren and those who spread it. God hates that. But something else that Satan uses is what I'm calling from Acts chapter 8, false faith. And as we develop this tonight, you're going to see just how dangerous this is and you'll get to see how God deals with it. This would be a message where I need your prayer because it would be very easy to cause false doubt in the minds of those who are genuinely saved. But the Holy Spirit put the account in this book on purpose that we're going to consider tonight because if you are pretending salvation, God wants to use a passage like this to scare you to death. You can fool anybody here, but you're not fooling God. And unless you have repented of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have uh, cast your faith dependence on him for salvation, it doesn't matter who you're deceiving here, your eternity will tell the truth. Our study in Acts has shown us the awesome power of the gospel through the Spirit's working in his church. However, from time to time, we'll be reminded that Satan is also busy trying to disrupt God's word, God's work. One of the chief ways he does this is through false professions. In fact, when a church is ready to take that next step, be it a building program and God's working and, and so on, it will be those who don't have faith because they don't know Christ they're the ones that could very well cause the greatest disruption. It happens with pastoral change from one pastor, pastor to another. Pastor Coles knows that well. They can be professors but not possessors of salvation. Many times that's when, that's when you discover them. Now, it should not surprise us that Satan does this because we have all heard the expression a wolf in sheep's clothing. Do you know that that is actually based in the book of Acts? It comes from Acts chapter 20 where the Apostle Paul is meeting with the Ephesian elders. He's headed back to Jerusalem and he knows this is the last time I will see these men. But he says to them out of your own number, there will be those who will come not sparing the flock. He, he knew I think the Lord gave him the discernment that even among that group of men, there was a wolf. 
a false professor, someone that had not placed true faith in Christ. And so we're in Acts chapter 8, and our text tonight will be verses 9 through 25. This text shows us that there is true faith and there is false faith. We'll see that Simon the sorcerer, his faith was placed in the miracles that Philip did. He believed that miracles could happen. He was watching them. Whereas saving faith is placed on Christ as he is revealed in the scriptures. Look at chapter 8 and verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed uh, with them and many taken with palsies and that were lame were healed and there was great joy in that city. Now that's where we ended the last time we were in the book of Acts. But we need to see that where conversion is taking place, Satan likes to spread confusion. Let me say that again. Where conversion is taking place, Satan likes to spread confusion. Where God's might is seen, Satan is sure to meddle at the scene. Right? Where God's might, his power is seen, at that scene, Satan is sure to meddle. So I've entitled our message tonight, False Faith, Satan's Master Deceit. False faith. Now, I've given you the title, but we have to develop the text, and I think that the title will become more and more obvious to us, though, again, this is not an easy text. So the Lord is doing a great work in Samaria. Multitudes are being saved. The whole, the whole area is experiencing revival. But Satan has his plant there. Look at verse 9 now. But, okay, there's joy in the city. God is working, but indicates a significant change in focus uh, is happening from the glorious work that God was doing in Samaria. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery. He used magic. And he bewitched. That word means he confounded people. All right? Have you ever seen somebody do something with magic and it's like, how did they do that? That's exactly what had been happening in Samaria before the Lord started saving folks, before Philip got there. So people were bewitched, confounded. It, what he was doing made them wonder as he uh, ends up doing himself. He wonders later at God's working through Philip with miracles. Verse 13 says, he has the same wonder. It's the same idea. He's mesmerized too. But Simon had bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was, one, was some great one. Now notice here where the focus is. It's on him. What's everybody think he's somebody? Verse 10, to whom they all gave heed. From the least to the greatest. Now stop. Satan doesn't come up with anything new. He's a great counterfeiter. 
What did Jesus do? Jesus do miracle, did miracles in order to show that he was God and for those works' sake so that they would listen to his message and believe, right? All right, so here's what the counterfeiter is doing in Samaria through Simon. They gave heed. Why? Because they had been mesmerized by this guy from the least to the greatest. And here's what they're saying. This man is the great power of God. Wow. That's quite a statement. Literally, the Hebrew or the Greek here is this man is the power of God that is called great. Let's just pause for a moment. How do they even know about God? Well, you've got to remember, these Samaritans were the result of the Assyrians taking Israelites captive to other places, and the Assyrian Empire moved in captives from other places and mixed the population. But the population that was already there knew about God. These were Israelites. And so in that amalgamation, they came up with this new religion. Remember the woman at the well who asked Jesus, well, you worship there and we worship here. Who's right? Remember that discussion? So a form of godliness, but they didn't know the power thereof. And so Simon had some of the right terminology, but he's a deceiver. And he had deceived many. He deceives them into thinking that he embodied God's power. How did he do this? Verse 11, and to him they had regard because that of long time he had bewitched them with sorceries, with magic arts. Question, is Satan capable of some amazing things? He sure is. He appears as an angel of light. And he's a miracle worker too. <gasps> oh, yeah. Remember what happened when Moses went into Pharaoh, said, God said, let my people go. What did the magicians in Egypt do? Same things that Moses was doing. All right, Satan is powerful. So Satan has a plant there. God is working, people are being saved. Uh, God sends uh, the deacon, evangelist, Philip in there. Many are coming to Christ, and we know that that was just a continuation of the ministry that Jesus and the disciples had had uh, there during Jesus' earthly ministry. So Satan's plan. But now we move on to divine power. Satan is no match for God. Verse 12, but when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, both men and women. They were saved. And here's another good proof text for baptism following salvation. They heard the preaching, they believed, and they were baptized. Now understand what's happening here. One commentator mentioned they were changing their allegiance from the sorcerer to the savior of the world. Simon had not been responsible for any life change. He's a deceiver. Now Philip preaches Jesus Christ and lives are being transformed. 
Simon's work was energized by Satan and used to exalt himself. Philip's miracles were the work of God and were used to exalt Christ. Now, unlike other places in Acts where sorcerers resisted the gospel, Simon decides to join up with what he thought was happening. Oh, this is, this is neat. I'll just become part of this. There's, there's real power evidenced here. I want to be a part of this. So verse 13, then Simon himself believed also. Now we do not know at this point in the text the basis of his faith, what he's trusting. We don't, we're just told he believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip. But notice immediately there's something different about this guy. He wondered beholding the miracles and the signs which were done. Now that word, again, wondered, is the same word of what people did as they looked on the magic that he had done in the past. They, they were mesmerized. They, they wondered. Now the same thing is happening. Wow. Notice his attention is not on Christ, the transformed life. It's not that. His focus is, how did you do that? You see a problem? Well, let's read on. Simon believed Philip's miracles were real and much greater than his own. But he had not truly submitted his life to the Lord, and Peter is about to expose it. So as we follow this story, the next section of the story is Peter and John, the apostles send them down from Jerusalem. And when they get there, Peter is going to expose this man's false faith. Commentator Richard Longnecker said this, quote, Simon himself, to judge by the narrative to follow, was more interested in the great acts of power accompanying Philip's preaching than God's reign in his life or the proclamation of Jesus' messiahship, end quote. He really wasn't too interested in that. And his words are going to betray that. This passage would be more difficult if it weren't that Jesus faced the same issue during his preaching Ministry. I love the fact we can compare passages in the Bible with other passages in the Bible. Would you hold your place here and would you go back to John chapter 2 for just a moment? Jesus is starting his ministry. And in John chapter 2, we read this in verse 23. John 2, 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover and the feast day. Many believed in his name. Okay, that's a good thing, right? Yes. When they saw the miracles which he did. Okay, stop for a moment. Are they really believing that he is the Christ or do they believe just that he can do miracles? Are they mesmerized? Or have they given their hearts to Christ? The text is going to answer the question for us. Now, not everyone 
had false faith. But watch what happens. But Jesus did not commit himself unto them. What's that mean? Well, commit is the same word as believed in verse 23. Jesus did not put his trust in their professions because they had not really put their trust in him. That's scary. One commentator at this point, comparing these texts, said, it's amazing how close people can get to salvation and never come to Christ. Read on. The only way that we know that this is a false faith is because of verse 24, because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. He saw right through him. What about all those followers in Jesus' earthly ministry? Jesus would turn to him one day and say, you're following me and here's why. I fed you bread. You're believing on my ability to give you food, but you won't receive me as the bread of life. So close and yet so far away. One old preacher said this, we would see a revival in America if the people in our churches got saved. It's time we stop pretending we have faith if there's no evidence of it and we can look back in our lives and know we have never repented of our sin and truly put our faith in Jesus Christ alone. Now, it's not complicated. If you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been saved. I'm not trying to cast doubt. But when you're raised in a church like this, it's very easy to become a professional pretender. I love you young people, but you know whether or not you have truly believed on Jesus Christ. And what you can't see, perhaps, that others can see, probably your parents especially, there's no fruit of your conversion at all. You have learned to be compliant. That doesn't mean you know Jesus. You may have gone through some actions to demonstrate faith. But can you look back on a time when you understood the gospel, understood that you were a sinner, admitted to God you were a sinner, asked him to forgive you, and ask Jesus to come into your life and be your Savior because you knew there was no other way but Him. Has that happened? So John chapter 2 sheds light on what's happening here with Simon. Some saw the miracles and believed on Jesus. Others saw the miracles and followed for the sake of the miracles. Now, to reinforce the problem here in Samaria, the Holy Spirit leads the apostles to send Peter and John to Samaria to see for themselves what God was doing. We don't think that as they're making this trip, they know anything about this guy, Simon. Right? They, they, they've not met him. They don't know about him. 
but the Lord has them going to Samaria to see the work, and they're going to see this sorcerer. They did not know what Simon was up to at this point. No doubt some of the Christians there were rejoicing because this man who had notoriety had been saved, or so they thought. But let's look now at the spiritual discernment that begins to bring things to light in verse 14. Now when the apostles, which were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them, Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. And then here's kind of a, a, a note tagged on. Now it's, please understand my expression. This is from the Holy Spirit. Uh, but but th this is something else we need to know about what is happening here. Verse 16, for as yet he, the Holy Spirit, was uh, uh, fallen upon none of them. They were only baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So those who believed on Christ were baptized in his name. That's the point of the text. Um, now why? Why hadn't they received the Holy Spirit? We're going to answer that question in just a moment. Someone has called this, and I think they're right, they've called this the Samaritan's Pentecost. The Samaritan Pentecost. Now why? Well, notice Peter's involvement here again. This is purposeful. Peter had been given the keys to the kingdom of heaven in Matthew 16, 13 to 20. We don't have time to go there, but you'll remember that the Lord says to the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter, in faith, says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the Lord says to him, flesh and blood has not revealed that unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And then he goes on to say to Peter that he is giving him the keys of the kingdom. That did not mean that he's, he said, you are Peter, you're a small stone, and upon this rock, Jesus, I will build my church. But, he said, Peter, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. This meant that Peter would be used by the Savior to open the door of faith to others. Who preached at Pentecost in Jerusalem where 3,000 were saved? Who was it? It was Peter. All right. Now watch. Here it is the Samaritans who were no longer considered outcasts. The Lord was saving them. They were not just half-breeds. And that's how the Jews viewed them. Okay? Now they receive the Holy Spirit, and so they're part of the church too, equal with all those who come to faith in Christ. Isn't it wonderful? In Acts chapter 10, it will be the Gentiles. Peter is led to Cornelius, the centurion's house. And there they believe, and with Peter's uh, help there, they receive the Holy Spirit. The main point is that there is only one church, not a church in Jerusalem, not a church in Samaria, not a church to the Gentiles. One church, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. 
The Spirit is showing the church we are all one in Christ through His indwelling. He seals us. Now, here's an important thing to note about the book of Acts, all right? It's important to remember that Acts 1 to 10 are a transitional period in this book. Once we get through chapter 10, you'll see consistency. What God does is consistent with what we know he does through the rest of the church age. Namely, today, when a person believes on Christ, they immediately receive the Holy Spirit. But Acts 1 to 10 were transitional because there were some things that the Lord wanted the church to learn, to know, and I'm sharing some of that tonight. It was a special thing that God did at Pentecost in Jerusalem. It was a special thing that God did for those Samaritans that he loved. And it was a special thing he did in Cornelius' house with all of those Gentiles. Why? Because he loved some more than others? No, no, no. He loves his church. Now look at verse 17. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. That's a pretty neat trick. I'll pay you to show me how to do that. Do you see any spiritual discernment in this guy? None. In fact, here's what is also betrayed by what he says. There is no indication here that when Peter, John laid their hand, well, when Peter laid his hands and everyone received the Holy Spirit, there is not a single indication that Simon received the Holy Spirit. Wow. Verse 19. So he says, give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. This takes us back to what he was doing before. People were looking at him that he's got this unusual power. He's the power source of God. And so he says, okay, if it's not me, it's got to be this guy Peter. So here's some money and, and let me in on this gig. Simon not only wanted to learn how to do miracles, but he wanted the power to give people the Holy Spirit. Imagine the foolishness of that. He didn't realize that what Peter was doing was not Peter. It was through the Holy Spirit that this was happening. So this passage is the source of the word simony. How many of you ever heard that word simony? Okay. Maybe not because it's most often used in denominations and it's used in Roman Catholicism. What does simony mean? It means the buying and selling of church offices or privileges. It was a problem in church history. I'll get in good with a pope or a bishop if I just have enough money to pay my way into the door. And church history, you look back, that was called simony. Where did it start? The sorcerer. Look at verse 20 now. But Peter said unto them, Thy money perish with thee. Now these would not be words that you say to a saved man. 
We're not perishing. Because thou hast thought, and that word thought means to plot or scheme. You've been thinking this through, been plotting that the gift of God might be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter. All right, what does that say? You don't have the Holy Spirit. You don't have any, any part in what we're doing. So question, is Simon a saved man or not? Over and over now as we work through the text, there's indication after indication. No, he wasn't saved. False faith. Oh, wait a minute. He made a profession. He was baptized. And he's lost. He had not truly believed on Christ. There is no evidence at this point Simon received the Holy Ghost when the others did. His words betray his condition, and Peter knows it. Verse 21, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Now, Certainly for a believer, our hearts may not be right in the sight of God. But everything to this point indicates it was not right because God does not have your heart at all. Peter saw in Simon self-promotion and greed. There had been no repentance, no submission to Christ. And so he says in verse 22, Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. Now what is this? And for those who may be listening to this message tonight, and you've never genuinely believed on Christ for salvation. I have great news for you. The Lord loves you, and he wants to save you, and he still can. What was the Lord doing here? He's reaching out to Simon. Now, Simon heard some very hard things, but Simon needed to hear those hard things to be saved. The woman at the well heard some hard things. To be saved. And we can go right on through the list of those that the Lord did save. But this confrontation was meant to draw him to the Savior. The gracious invitation of God for this man to repent and come to Christ. I believe personally that a similar invitation had been repeatedly extended to Judas. Think about how many messages Judas heard where Jesus said, come unto me. Did he ever come? Never did. Judas is in hellfire tonight along with Simon. Why? Because God didn't want them in heaven? No, no. Because they refused to believe on the only begotten Son of God. Look at verse 23. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness. That always puzzled me, Pastor Coles. Bitterness? I, I don't sense any bitterness here, no. But the Lord gave Peter insight into the fact that this man's notoriety had been taken away. So down deep, real deep, this wasn't fair. I used to control these people. They used to look at me. They're not looking at me anymore. So I've got to figure out how to again wiggle my way back into prominence. How rotten the flesh is. Bitterness. 
And in the bond of iniquity, he was still bound by his sin. Again, these are not words spoken to a saved man. Verse 24, then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. Is that a reasonable prayer? No, because Peter had just said, turn to God and repent. Where is Simon's focus? I still need a man to help me. I don't believe that God can help. I need a man to help me, and you're the miracle worker I saw. it. Stop. Turn to Christ. He thought he needed the power of another man to deliver him. We have no account that he ever turned in repentance to Christ. Instead, the focus remains on the apostles. And so the Holy Spirit here in the book just moves right on in the story, verse 25. And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, these apostles returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel. In other words, and on their way back to Jerusalem, preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. They saw what God was doing and they wanted more people to be saved. Man, what a, what a wonderful text. By the way, where are they headed back to? They're headed back to Jerusalem. Why had Philip and some of the others left Jerusalem? There's persecution up there. But they're headed back. Who lives there? A guy named Saul of Tarsus. He's creating havoc in the church. But they're going back there because that's where God wants them to be. And they're encouraged by what God is doing in Samaria. Now, without giving you a long history lesson, you can go back, and it was interesting as I studied for the message, how many of the church fathers talk about Simon the sorcerer? Justin Martyr. I, I read at least two others that mention him in their writings. And the commentators all talk about these guys and these sources that Simon, after this happened, created more and more difficulty, especially for Peter. Uh, they indicate that he had it out for Peter. He hated Peter. And some of the church historians will talk about the fact that it was, in, it was Simon the sorcerer who actually came up with and started the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which Revelation tells us. John says, uh, the Lord uh, uses John to write that the Lord hates that. What was the doctrine of the Nicolaitans? At least part of that was the rule of the clergy over the laity, lording over the flock, which came into full bloom with the Roman Catholic Church. Well, who started that? Very possibly a guy named Simon. Why? Well, that, that was in his heart from the very beginning when he was in Samaria. And so what do we conclude from this text? Again, one of Satan's main tools is to convince someone that if they say the right things and say that, yes, I, here's when I was saved and I've been baptized, to convince them whether it's actually true in their heart that they gave their heart to Christ, uh, they want everybody to think that they're, just, they're, they're part of what God is doing. False faith. And ultimately, it's going to come out. You cannot sustain that pretending. 
I wonder personally, Mr. Taylor, if that's why when young people get out of our Christian homes that often they'll run to the world and never come back. They went out from us because they were not of us that it might be revealed that they were never of us. There are even those that you might lead to the Lord. They pray a prayer. And like in the parable of the sower, the, uh, you see something spring up and it looks like life and it, this is exciting and it's going to bear fruit and then it withers. There was nothing really ever there. And so the challenge for us at this important, important time as a church is that we draw nigh unto God, that we be genuine and real, that our faith be in Christ alone. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, would you just stop pretending and just come to him? Run to Christ, as Spurgeon used to say. Run to Jesus. Okay? It's, not, it's not worth pretending to be something that you're not. Run to Christ. And let's pray for each other that God would cause us to be faithful. What's that word mean? Full of faith. So as we step into this next phase in our, in our churches, uh, moving forward for God, that we have a, a mind that's united, a mind that's willing to trust the Lord and, and to pray for great things, expect Him to do great things. And if we have the mind of Christ and we are controlled by the Holy Spirit and there is not false faith, no pretenders, God's going to continue to work mightily in this place. And I'm excited about what he's going to do. But let's leave here tonight in our minds with this warning. Anytime God is doing something great, Satan's going to interfere. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, young and old, walk with God and make no provision for the flesh. And if you don't know God, come to Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, this amazing text, but a very sobering text. Lord, a casual reading of Acts 8 would cause us to rejoice. Here's a, a man that worked magic who came to you and his life was transformed, but that's not what happened at all. Lord, there's no indication anywhere in Scripture or in church history that this man was ever genuinely saved. What a warning for us if we are not truly in the fold. And so, Lord, I don't know what you've done in hearts tonight, but would you draw hearts to yourself? Lord, if folks are here doubting their salvation and they genuinely can look back at a time when they admitted to you they were a sinner and they believed on you, uh, Lord, it's not the amount of faith, it's the object of faith. And Lord, help them to uh, take hold of those promises in your word. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
For with the heart man believes and is made righteous, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. But Lord, there may be someone listening, and they know. They really know. They've never been to the cross. Lord, tonight, would you make tonight the night when they're saved? Help them to come to you in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God, or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.